Good morning and happy 50k to you all. It's nice to see our old friend we haven't seen since December of 2021, believe it or not. Um, my name is Ben Floyd and I'll be your host for today. Um, we have got a cracking lineup as usual. We've got a market update from Josh, who's going to run through some changes at Coindesk and some updates on the ongoing legal battles we have in the space. David's going to run us through the macro, including the important inflation data we have today. Greg's going to take us through flows and also some positioning and an open interest in the derivatives markets. And then we've got Sid, who's going to give us a forecaster update, including a potential connection with Solana. Um, Sid, I want to bring you in here. You are an OG, and I think it's probably fair to say you have a slight degen streak in you as well. Um, how does it feel 50k now versus December 2021? Obviously, it's potentially slightly different times of the market. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it feels very different uh, now. Actually, um, uh, to be honest, uh, last uh, last when we were at this range, uh, ETH was at 4k, uh, Solana was at 200. Uh, Luna in itself was at 100. Um, so, you know, we were coming off the back of an epic altcoin rally that year. And this time around, it's much different. You know, we're, we're just in the initial stages as far as it looks like. Um, ETH is still 46% below its all-time high. So feels much different, feels much more Bitcoin-led um, and feels like we're at the initial leg. Wow. The, adding those numbers in is amazing. To, th to think like Luna was 100, sold at 200 and, and, and ETH, as you said, a lot higher. That's, that's kind of in incredible. I was reflecting with the guys yesterday. It also feels kind of just like a non-event. It's it's like people are, are like cautiously optimistic as opposed to excited, um, which which is also a, a, a big big change. I guess from like an infrastructure perspective, like if we were if we compare, like how does how does that look to you in terms of DeFi specifically? Yeah, in terms of infrastructure, we've had we have had so many more chains, especially L twos, come up over this this bear market, and then also on from the from the wallet uh, and overall evolution of the ecosystem, we we have a lot more base level infra built. Uh, you know, we'll cover this later in the call with eigenlayer restaking, you know, account abstraction, um, and and you know just layer two developments in general, and then also um, Solana. Uh, updates on the developer front. Uh, the ecosystem as a whole has has, has evolved, um, but uh, you know now it's kind of ripe for the applications that kind of drove last cycle, which was DeFi and NFT applications. Uh, we'll see what those apps are this this time around to see how they leverage this infrastructure. Well, looking forward to hearing more in a second. But before we get into it, some quick housekeeping. Don't forget to like and subscribe if you're on YouTube, Spotify, Audible, however you listen to or watch the show. If you are watching, don't forget to scan the QR code to get all of David's fantastic research. If you are listening, that will be in the show notes as well. But let's get right into it. Uh, Josh, let's have a quick market update, please. Yeah, thanks, Ben. Uh, the big story is, of course, that BTC traded through 50,000, the 50,000 level on Monday morning, um, hitting levels, as Sid just said, uh, last seen in December of 2021. I know, Ben, you just mentioned that uh, things feel muted, but experiencing these levels as a first for me is actually really quite exhilarating. Uh, and I'm loving it. Uh, so just to remind listeners, uh, BTC price action, um, you know, touched levels as low as actually 39,184 on Jan 23rd, really as the ETF launch largely in the near term became a sell the new story. Um, so looking at some of the world's most valuable stocks, actually BTC's market cap, I call it close to a billion dollars at $980 billion, I'm sorry, close to a trillion dollars rather, is really a stone's throw away from the likes of Meta at $1.2 trillion, just a fun metric in my opinion. Um, but wow, really, what a difference a short 20 days can make. And really, this bullish market sentiment is evidence not only in BTC, 
but also an ETH showing legs and running up 14.8% in the last seven days alone um, to rise convincingly above the 2600 level, even notably, I think, outperforming BTC on Monday by about 2.4%. Um, popular alts are also trading higher. You know, if we take a quick look at markets, we see that Sol is up 13.3%, Cardano up 7.7%, ABAX up 12, Link up 13, et cetera. And even really the large unlocking Arbitrum showing strength trading up 16.3% on the week. Um, a few more details here, uh, specifically on Arbitrum, given its massive size. Uh, in 31 days on March 15th, um, 1.1 billion ARB tokens are set to unlock, which is really a meaningful unlocking event. Uh, relative to the 10 billion total token supply. Um, currently, I believe, unless unless I'm wrong on this one, that the Dow Treasury accounts for the large portion of the circulating supply. Um, really, so this unlocking event, really unlocking um, the first time for investors and advisors will be a large liquidity event and one that we are, of course, watching very carefully. Sid, we'd love to bring you in here. You're obviously kind of keeping an eye on things on chain. Like, what what should we be looking out for here? And are there any other protocols that also have kind of unlocks coming? Yeah. So historically, uh, unlocks um, have been, uh, you know, especially for larger protocols, have been almost a meme of sorts. Where there's this this meme of the bullish unlock, uh, especially when unlocks change hands before they actually happen. But uh, but in terms of uh, ARB specifically, uh, we also have a pretty big distribution event happening on Optimism uh, with their RPGF, their Retroactive Public Goods Funding Program, uh, beginning distributions this previous week. It's going to uh, go on for the for the foreseeable few months to different projects, and you know projects are going to use that for development funding. So um, we'll see how that uh, pans out. But both of these have been. You know the stalwarts of L2 tokens in recent times, so and they've been you know performing pretty pretty strong, uh, and, and even with Arbitrum, we've also had a pretty big uh, circulating supply increase over the past few months, which uh, folks may not be aware of. They've been running their uh, STIP program, which is uh, basically incentives that they've been giving to leading DApps on Arbitrum to incentivize user growth. Um, and um, I've seen some folks running numbers on this where on average they've been spending around $7 for every uh, additional dollar in TVL that the uh, chain itself has gained, which is which is interesting, which is pretty egregious. But uh, arguably other metrics like daily active users and transaction volumes and stuff have, have definitely picked up. So it's, it's interesting. It feels like this week, last week, week before, we've been talking about unlocks across both Solana and Ethereum. So I'm curious, is this is a time where we're going to start to see a lot of unlocks and maybe some projects have held back waiting for price action to improve before they start to release tokens? Uh, well, to be honest, uh, the unlock schedules, is, at least for the larger projects, has been kind of preempted. Uh, they've published these schedules ahead of time. Coincidentally, it's it's coinciding with you know this this price action run up. Uh, what is interesting though is is new token launches. Uh, we've seen even over the past few weeks, Dimension, Alt Layer, uh, several multi billion dollar launches happen, and I'm sure we'll see several more over the coming weeks, um, yeah, which is kind of opportunistic from the development teams to kind of launch at this time when users interest is high and potentially the, uh, the token can pick up uh, as soon as it launches interesting and, and josh like what are we seeing um i guess in these in these in these some of these names as a result of these potential catalysts coming up yeah it's really interesting i think sid mentioning the fact that there's actually a fundamental driver for why arbitrum in particular potentially um trades so much because we've actually fielded that question on the desk you know these are tokens that have the the, the lion's share of circulating supply that's addressable um, is actually still locked up. And I think the question becomes, well, what's driving all this churn? 
Um, and to hear that there's actually a fundamental case for why, hey, actually more tokens are coming to market, that the Treasury DAO is actually releasing more tokens, um, that actually makes a lot of sense. Um, it, from a price perspective, I think, you know, one thing that's been interesting is that, you know, if you take a look at how large unlocking tokens in the past have performed, um, if we use Aptos, for instance, as a recent example, given that that was a high profile, uh, really a, a, a huge unlock that also is still ongoing. Um, but on day one, I think it was like two hundred and two, like twenty million dollars, call it give or take, that unlocked, and we really saw that prices jump from call it closer to seven dollars, and I recall through nine dollars. So you know, one thing to note is that you know there's a couple lessons here. It could be that the market in general is just becoming more mature and potentially pricing these things better, um, and the the liquidity kind of discount, call it rather. Um, and I think the other could just be that you know when the market in general is lifting higher, that really a fundamental you know, price drivers seem to kind of be thrown out the window as well, and that all shifts rise higher. That all shifts um, rise higher in the, as the tide lifts, or however we say, it, watch that. Um, but nonetheless, it is interesting to see, and I think you know we'll continue to watch for large unlocks, including you know Aptos, including Sui, including um, the ongoing ones, and Sui, including Arbitrum, and just seeing you know how these tokens respond. Yeah, definitely an uh, interesting dynamic to, to watch as, it, as the space evolves. Um, what else are we keeping an eye on, Josh? Yeah, uh, of course, we're going to go back to ETF flows. Um, if we go to our, our next slide, you'll see there, our audience will see kind of what the flows look like. But IBIT, um, the iShares, Bitcoin Trust, and FBDT, uh, Fidelity's Wise Origin Bitcoin Fund, are really leading the pack here with flows uh, above $3.7 billion and $3.1 billion, respectively. Um, and really, for those who are keeping track across all ETFs, I was actually astounded to see this. Uh, the net inflow number year to date is just a touch below $3.3 billion. Um, it really looks to us that GBTC's flows appear to be slowing down here with one month flows, um, you know, were higher than $6.3-ish billion. But really, if you look at the one day outflow number, which was $51 million on Monday uh, and $414 million cumulative for the week, things have really slowed down. Interesting. And Josh, do you think that's uh, kind of part of the reason for this kind of move higher and grind higher? People are kind of more comfortable with the outflows are slowing and and ultimately we're just having a, a load of uh, additional fresh capital coming in. Yeah, I think that that makes tons of sense. I think that you'll continue to see kind of in large traditional me media organizations such as Bloomberg, et cetera, will be reporting that, you know, that large net inflow number. And I think the fact that GBTC selling really appears to be slowing down, of course, from just the fundamentals perspective, like that seller exhaustion kind of looks to be real. Uh, so from our perspective, it appears to really be that this ETF launch was actually immensely successful and that you start to see a lot more fresh capital coming into the market. You know, on the desk, we of course talk about other fundamental drivers for BTC, whether that's having, you know, an accommodated monetary policy, et cetera. But without a doubt, I agree with you. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, because we, we were talking about this, it was going to take time for, to flow, for flows to build and for it to really have an impact. But it's it's actually we're like a month in, and it's already seems to be having a, having an impact, and that's arguably before many of the large wealth platforms have even uh, give it given it approval to get to clients or financial advisors have, have been educated on it. So, yeah, super super encouraging. I was chatting with a client the other day, and um, this isn't my view; this was his view, but he he was expecting all time highs, uh, kind of in, in Q two of this year, which I don't know, still feels a long way away to be honest. But we'll we'll see how that how that plays out. Um, yeah. I think Sorry, I, one more thing to add there, but I think that you, you just hit the nail on the head, which was like there was discussion around LPL Financial, which, of course, controls tons of assets um, that they're still not yet comfortable. So to see this, you know, call it a month in 
is actually incredibly, I think, constructive. And if, you know, six months from now, one year from now, five years from now, um, as the platforms and everybody becomes more comfortable pitching BTC's place in client portfolios, I mean, you know, we'll see what happens. But the levels look like something to watch. I can hear, I can hear some excitement in your voice there. I love it. <laughs> right, what, what, what else have you been keeping on? Yeah, um, as noted before, I think we'll, we'll turn the picture to, to ETH. Um, ETH is really picking up a little bit of steam here with news that um, Franklin Templeton filed an S1 registration for a spot ETH ETF. Um, the street across the board seems to be quite mixed on likelihood of approval in 2024 for an ETH ETF, uh, which is really, I think, more complicated by the fact that these providers are also looking to include a potential staking solution, uh, which we imagine the SEC will spend some additional time mulling over. Um, but in general, it, there was also news that the ETH validator entry queue jumped to its highest level since October 2024. So, you know, these bullish headlines continue here. Um, and with the percentage of ETH staked holding steady at around 25%, which is still a couple percentage points actually higher from where we were at in mid-January, we are seeing small signs of renewed interest in ETH, um, likely helping its performance here. Interesting. And I'm curious like, how you think about, and Sid would love, love your opinion here as well, around like Eigenlayer, the, the growth there and, and kind of how much ETH is locked up and, and what that does to potentially help prices move higher. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Um, Eigenlayer is one of the largest um, projects in the space right now. Uh, they've been operating in a, in a kind of regular cadence in terms of increasing the caps in terms of how much ETH is allowed to be deposited in their protocol. And recently, last week, uh, they raised the caps again. And the uh, TVL number shot up from two billion to what's it's now sitting at six point five billion. Um, you know, ETH price has also increased. So technically, that's a one point five million ETH uh, increase uh, in the past week or so, which is pretty substantial um, uh, for Eigenlayer. And and what's interesting here is Eigenlayer accepts. Uh, staked ETH deposits and various different flavors of staked ETH. So the Lido TVL, Lido staked ETH TVL hasn't exactly gone up uh, significantly in that period. What's interesting is just different flavors of, stake, of, of staked ETH are being, uh, you know, rehypothecated and deposited into Eigenlayer. Um, specifically, uh, there's this flavor called Mantle ETH, uh, so M-ETH, uh, which has gone up, the TVL has gone up 72% in the last month. And, you know, five, 200K of um, the Eigenlayer ETH increase, uh, 200K ETH, that is, uh, is due to Mantle ETH being included. So a uh, pretty interesting trend here uh, in terms of uh, providers competing for different sources of yield uh, and also uh, Eigenlayer points, uh, which is what they're rewarding uh, currently. And with these eigenlayer points, uh, I assume the assumption or expectation is that they're going to be turned into maybe some sort of other form of value in the in the future. Um, I guess how, how how are people gaining points? Or what do you have to do to get points? Uh, all you have to do is uh, just deposit some flavor of stake teeth into eigenlayer, and then the time that you have deposited, uh, it's a kind of time weighted and TVL weighted. Uh, uh, allocation where the larger your size and the more you stay um, deposited, uh, the more points you gain, right? So, uh, and currently points are, uh, you know, deriving some sort of value in the secondary markets, which is interesting to see, but it's all kind of guesswork to see uh, what a point will be worth in terms of Eigenlayer's token when they release it. Um, you know, it's it's not known how much, how, how many tokens they will allocate per point. So that's the big you know, piece of guesswork that folks are doing, um, but they're trying to have comparables to other large projects with similar TVLs. 
Interesting. And each time, it seems like they've been very um, responsible in their in their kind of growth. Each time they they kind of they have a cap and then they raise they they kind of reach that cap and then they raise it again. And they reach that cap. Like typically, how long is it taking for them to max out their cap each time they raise it? Um, it's been getting a little bit slower uh, as you know the, the it's reaching a bit of a saturation point, but you know it's close to being filled again, and it's uh, it's been a, be- a week, right? So historically, it was uh, you know as soon as a day is as like uh, in terms of minutes it got filled, and then it was a day, and then now it's kind of up to a week. So I think it's progressively getting longer and longer, but uh, we'll probably reach a saturation point soon. And, and I guess there's, there's also like the scale is getting larger. Like we're talking billions of dollars here. So it's not it's not a small amount. And the, the first cap was, I think, what, 50 million or something very small? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Interesting. And and I guess how, how should we think about um, Eigenlayer versus, let's say, a Celestia, which has obviously got a token, it's listed. How do we think about those two vis-a-vis each other? Yeah, so Eigenlayer is kind of a, a generalized restaking solution. Uh, so it's kind of a overall protocol to serve other protocols who want to use staked ETH uh, as a kind of validation mechanism. Uh, and then they have a subcomponent called EigenDA, which is their data availability solution. So Celestia is basically a data availability solution. So it's more Eigen EigenDA versus Celestia as comparable. Um, and they kind of use slightly different uh, technology approaches. Uh, Eigen DA uses like data availability committees, and then Celestia uses data availability sampling. You know, there's pros and cons for each approach, um, but it's kind of uh, that's where they're competing. Um, so Eigenlayer is kind of a larger umbrella where it could address a you know a larger scope of use cases uh, apart from just data availability. Interesting. And 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 kind of back to ETH. How much ETH is currently locked? And and what does that do? And, and Josh, we'd love to hear your, your opinion on this afterwards as well. Like, how much ETH is actually locked? Like, where is it locked? Um, and then what does that typically do for for, for the for the the asset? Uh, yeah, sure. I'm happy to start. So I think ETH, from what we just saw, was what I think closer to 25% of total circulating supply of addressable ETH is currently locked. Um, and I, we think in general, just that that cause that helps ETH pricing performance given especially that when you take supply out of the market, just naturally the supply and demand characteristics improve and that there's just this general view um, that with less supply in the market, there's just less selling to be done. Um, so I would think in general, that would just be continue to be a bullish case. And I think relative to some of its other staking peers at 25%, there's still a lot of legs to run. Interesting. And Blast has been coming up a lot, Sid. Do you mind just running through what that is? Yeah, so Blast is uh, kind of combining these two narratives. Uh, earlier, we discussed layer twos. Um, so Blast is a layer two where uh, um, they're currently only accepting deposits um, of ETH, and then the ETH is natively staked in Lido staked ETH. So the ETH just gains yield passively, and then the ETH that users use on the L2 will always be passively gaining the yield. That's kind of their pitch to users so they don't lose out on the opportunity cost of ETH base yield uh, while they're interacting with L2 dApps on Blast, the L2. And uh, the the developers of Blast are also the same developers behind Blur, the NFT marketplace. So they're trying to have a more integrated linkage between the two, potentially use have more dApps related to NFTs on that chain um, and uh, offer this staked ETH. Uh, so it has a, a kind of a billion, over a billion dollars of TVL that's currently locked. And it kind of adds to this 
locked ETH component where we have 25% that's staked, all of this that's being restaked in Eigenlayer, and then another billion in, in Blast, and then in a several billion in other, comp- other areas of DeFi as well, which are effectively locked and away from circulation. Interesting. And on the Blast side of things, is that something that other L2s could potentially implement? So rather than going to Blast, you would get native stake, um, stake ETH rewards via arbitrism, optimism, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think the key consideration there is security. Um, you know, L2s are making a choice whether to to stake or not. Um, you're, you're trusting the setup of, of staking in terms of taking all the user funds on the roll up and then transferring it back to mainnet to stake. Uh, so it's a bit of a, you know, security concern potentially to, if there's a, you know, some sort of uh, bug in that in that flow, it has a systemic, you know, downstream effects, right? So uh, I think it's just individual choices L2s are making. Uh, Mantle, for example, has this METH product, but uh, it's not base. It's not the base token that they use to facilitate transactions on the Mantle L2, right? So they're offering it as a standalone product rather than the base uh, transacting token. Okay. Very helpful. Thank you, Sid. Um, Josh, wrapping up, what, what are the last few bits you've been keeping on? Yes, sir. Uh, on the regulatory front, um, hedge funds will now file additional confidential information on the so-called foreign PF, um, an SEC regulatory filing requirement really intended to ensure financial stability, um, including fund details for their crypto investment strategies. Um, so while our business, we won't see fund uh, filings disclosures similar to stocks, um, it'll be interesting ultimately to see how holders info on upcoming public filings such as investment firm uh, 13Fs, uh, what additional color we can shine on additional holder types. Uh, what we're seeing here. Um, and lastly, on the regulatory front, um, New, New York AG Letitia James is set to expand its suit against DCG, uh, alleging that DCG defrauded investors out of $3 billion, um, just to note that number was a billion dollars previously. Um, so there's a bit more drama here on this one. Uh, but DCG did report positive Q4 results with revenues rising 59%. Lastly, on the headlines front, uh, Coindesk's new owner, Bullish, who completed its acquisition in November of last year, has reportedly changed its CEO and other senior management staff. Uh, we mentioned this because given Coindesk's prominent role as a news organization within this space, uh, we feel this one is important to take note of. Um, I think that's it. Back to you, Ben. Cool. Thanks so much, Josh. Uh, a lot going on as usual. Uh, David, over to you on the macro side of things. Inflation data today, uh, what are we looking for? Yeah, so inflation came in slightly above expectations at 3.1% versus the median forecast, which was 2.9%. I mean, overall, I think that this is something that a lot of our uh, institutional investors can probably overlook, is my view. Um, Some people are concerned that this is going to push the Fed into hiking later than what already is expected to be later than March, because I think Powell came in and suggested that March is out of the picture, May is the most likely scenario. Um, But already you're starting to see people kind of push that further into June. I don't think that's going to be true, by the way. I think that the first cut is still going to happen in May, and I'm expecting 100 basis points of cuts this year. Interesting. And I guess what what else should we be looking out for um, ahead of May as a potential uh, point for the first rate cut um, that might change that path? Obviously, inflation is one thing. Jobs is another. Like, What are some of the other data points that we should be keeping an eye on? Well, I, I think the real kind of picture is like, are we exhausted with the uh, soft landing environment, soft landing scenario yet? And I don't yeah. think we are. I think that so far what we've been getting in terms of the hard data has actually been fairly positive. Um, not so positive that I think would change the minds of the Fed, for example. I think that 
so long as we maintain this disinflationary trend, which we're still on. I don't think we've shifted. It's just, you know, the pace of it has changed somewhat. Uh, I think for the most part, we're going to continue seeing that because the Fed doesn't want to create a problem like down the line uh, by not cutting rates like sooner rather than expected because that could potentially tip over into recession if they're not careful. So I think that they're going to remain cautious. But I think we're kind of over indexing a bit to the hawkish members of the board who have been on the tape recently. Um, you kind of heard from Michelle Bowman, for example, Larry Logan. Uh, these are, tend to be the, the major hawks on the board, for example. Um, I, I, I think that we just need to be careful. Like we haven't heard from too many centrists. And I think that that view should dominate over the next few months. And, and then I guess, how do we then connect this to, to crypto and, and maybe in the context of other data points that are crypto specific, whether it's a halvening or, or, or other things, obviously, um, rate cuts are going to be good for risk assets, which should play through. But what else uh, is going to help the crypto ecosystem specifically? I mean, I don't think that this should be underestimated in terms of its significance. For one thing, like, uh, you know, we kind of mentioned DeFi earlier. I think DeFi activity is going to start picking back up in the first half of 2024, in part because we have the rate cuts. Um, I think that once we see that, of course, cost capital kind of goes down. Um, but also, you know, like there's fewer kind of market neutral opportunities in this market than there were previously. Like we on this podcast talked about the, the basis, for example. Uh, it's not quite as attractive as it used to be, or definitely like even when you consider the capital requirements involved in the, the trade of doing the basis, I'm talking about CME futures, uh, you know, like it's not quite where it used to be. So if you're a player who, you know, frequently this trade, you might want to move into something else. And right now in stable coins, for example, like just doing like stable coins on DeFi, you can get upwards of like, you know, seven to 9%. Um, that's double where it used to be like uh, about a year ago. So I think that if we look at this, that could be a strong value proposition for DeFi and DeFi plays um, and also on the platforms on where that's played. Um, and I'm thinking more like Ethereum, for example, but also Solana. Yeah, that, that's certainly interesting, isn't it? There was a time where rates in in, in TradFi were higher than in DeFi. So it's interesting to see that flip reverse a little bit. Now, we all know Ethereum very well. Most know Ethereum very, very well in terms of what rates are available via maker of a compound, et cetera. Um, Sid, curious, we'd love to bring you in here. Um, looking across Solana and other chains, uh, what are the yields there? And presumably they're a little bit higher given you're taking on a bit more risk, but but maybe not. Yeah, um, it, it kind of the stalwart in, in the Solana ecosystem is uh, Gito. Um, they famously kind of dropped their uh, airdropped their token to the community uh, earlier this year, and uh, it was pretty well received. Um, the current going rate there is seven point eight percent. They have um, you know seven point six million soul locked up. You know it's close to a billion dollars uh, and uh, almost a hundred k holders. Uh, so it's become kind of a standard for the ecosystem. Um, so slightly higher risk, but also, you know, um, uh, it's become such a standard that it's it's uh, become enshrined in the ecosystem as, as this term is often used with Ethereum and Lido. So it's, I would say that's kind of the equivalent with Solana. Awesome. Thank you very much for that rundown, Sid. Yeah, I, I guess given maybe Gito isn't quite as battle tested, it's um, a, a little higher risk, but uh, 
certainly these protocols grow their TVL very, very quickly with attractive rates. Um, David, anything to add there or any other macro bits that we should be keeping an eye out or research you've got coming out? I know you're, you're, you're speaking at our scroll event later, which I'm looking forward to, but anything else you're keeping an eye on? Yeah, I think that's going to be exciting to just explore a little bit more what's uh, happening in the uh, L2 space because there's been so many prominent kind of releases. And I think a big part of it has to do with just performance price action in the markets, right? That's why a lot of uh, launches uh, have occurred very recently. Of course, Scroll has been launched in 2023. But um, otherwise, I would say on the macro front, you know, uh, I, I'm still kind of paying attention to what's happening with regional banks, really what's happening with commercial real estate. We've talked about these topics before. Um, and also really trying to still struggling with what's going to happen in China and the ramifications that's going to have in the broader global economy. Cool. Well, as as they get more clear, definitely want to want to hear your opinions on that. <clears throat> um, cool. Thanks, David. Uh, Greg, flows. What's going on there? Yeah, thanks, Ben. Um, happy to report that uh, volumes on exchange are ticking up. I think we have a slide here. Yeah. Um, so, you know, after the launch, we've talked about this uh, quite a bit. Volumes uh, fell off. We're now seeing them uh, you know, start to tick up again, which is a very healthy sign. Um, what's not shown in this chart is uh, really the distribution across the different tokens where we're seeing increased volume. It's not just Bitcoin. Um, you know, we are seeing interest in Bitcoin, but we're also seeing interest in ETH now, which is uh, you know, very good. And a lot of the uh, better known altcoins. Um, so that's Solana. Uh, a lot of the larger L2s, Aptos, uh, Sui, uh, and, and so on. And um, there continues to be really a dichotomy in the market. Um, you have the more traditional asset managers focusing uh, really on Bitcoin and uh, now sort of moving into ETH, given that, you know, as Josh said, there's some very large issuers uh, filing for ETFs. Um, you know, the fundamentals do look good there. And then you have the, the crypto native folks uh, that are really just focused very much on the longer tail, higher beta assets. Um, so, you know, one thing I would add uh, that I have noticed is that, you know, when we saw CME interest uh, collapse after the launch, everybody was falling over themselves with these, you know, very low price targets. You know, it's going to be 30,000, it's going to be 25,000. Now, we traded at 50 yesterday, and we're seeing the same thing, but on the upside, um, you know, very high price targets. Uh, I think it's very difficult <laughs> to say, you know, where this asset's going to be in the next week, month. Um, you know, what I like to do is just focus on the larger fundamental picture, uh, and which is really a flows picture. You know, we have a, an ETF that's gathering assets. We have likely uh, some macro tailwinds this year, you know. It's hard to say what it's going to do in the next you know, week or month, but it does look constructive uh, longer term. Yeah, I agree with your sentiment there about uh, people getting overexcited and, and like overly bearish. I think one thing that Brian, uh, our CEO, always says is it's never as good as it seems. It's never as bad as it seems. And I think that's so, so spot on. Yeah, absolutely. And from a trading standpoint, you just want to, you know, don't have so large of a position on that. You know, you get stopped out. Um, you know, when you get a hit, hit a couple bumps in the road. Um, you know, it's a it's very hard. You just want to stay in the game. Yeah. Um, but another, I think, good data point that we've seen uh, is CME open interest for both Bitcoin and ETH is climbing again. 
Um, so these charts uh, show CME open interest in token amounts. Um, so we sort of control for uh, price action. Um, and we're, we're not at all-time highs, but we are increasing, um, which is, again, a very good sign. Uh, shows that, uh, you know, TradFi participation uh, is coming back. It wasn't just a, you know, I want to play the event and, and leave the space. Um, additionally, what's not shown on this chart is um, option open interest is also growing quite a bit, um, both in ETH and BTC. And, you know, I think that makes sense um, with such a volatile asset. Uh, if you do have a longer term view, you want to buy some convexity, you know, given implies, you know, are relatively low be where they've been, um, you know, in years past. It's a it's, you know, makes sense to kind of play it that way as well. Yeah. Interesting. And, and I, I agree. I, I feel like um, and we, we're very lucky in the position we hold, like from an client perspective like the the large institutions are very interested still which is which is great and they remain engaged and can want to continue to learn and things like that so certainly seeing good momentum there um is there is there anything i guess that is worrying to you just to kind of have a, a balance there <laughs> that's what we do we worry um yeah i think you know we have this conversation on the desk quite a bit like what could derail this and um i think we saw a little bit of it this morning with uh, a good CPI print, but you know, higher than expected. And I think the big risk is, um, you know, inflation doesn't come down the way we all hope and expect it will. Um, you know, the cuts uh, have been the market expectation for when they're going to happen has been pushed out. Uh, I think Citigroup even said that traders aren't pricing the potential of a hike. Um, as they should be. So, you know, really, that's what kind of worries me. We got so bulled up on this, uh, this soft landing narrative, early hikes. Um, cryptos now has, you know, it's benefited from that a bit, but it's also benefited from its own narrative, which has been the ETF. Um, but I kind of worry about, you know, if the macro environment isn't as welcoming as we hope, um, you know, that could certainly uh, create some issues for our market. Yeah, that, that makes a ton of sense. And just to be clear, we don't we don't sit on the desk thinking about negative things all the time, but just occasionally, <laughs> just to make sure that we uh, we look at the tail. We have to be balanced, though. Yeah, very balanced. true. Very, very true. Um, Sid, uh, over to you. What is going on in Web three? And I guess we'd love to find out how Farcaster uh, is is going post uh, last week's update. Yeah, it's pretty interesting. Um, uh, the, the numbers are are not increasing at quite the same rate, but uh, still staying pretty high. Um, you know, several hundred thousand uh, active users per day, and uh, and, uh, and and what's interesting, especially this week, is uh, the team has pushed through a PR that we can that can be seen in their public repository for. Um, Solana accounts to be added to to the Farcaster uh, uh, account base. So, which is interesting because uh, you know, largely Farcaster has been very EVM ETH centric. Uh, most notably, base um, you know sixty to seventy percent of Farcaster on chain transactions are on base. So, adding Solana as another uh, ecosystem potentially opens up a pretty big wave of. Uh, new users and, and new developers as well who can potentially integrate um, 
interesting social experiences uh, using Solana accounts um, and, and Solana on-chain transactions. So that'll be an interesting development to see how usage picks up once that feature is rolled out. Um, do, we, do we have a timeline for that? Uh, not specifically, but potentially this week or next week, we're looking at that. Wow. Um, the code has been merged in. It's more about how it's released. Um, Very by- cool. And, and are there any um, any like big names that have moved across uh, or started being active? Obviously, like Fred Wilson's and Chris Dixon's and Vitalik's have been around for a little while. Is, is there anyone maybe that, that crosses across into Web2 that, that has moved across yet? Yeah, the trend I've been noticing is actually very interesting uh, crossovers from Web2 development. Um, so the the... The co-founder of Obsidian is on there. Um, the founders of Twitter, um, the 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 kind of uh, founder of Medium, the the founder of .dot the Node Node JS package. So a lot of uh, high-profile developer talent um, that have made you know pretty substantial contributions to Web 2.0 and the web as we know it uh, are on Firecaster as well, uh, posting interesting content in these channels that they have. So channels are kind of a pretty interesting discovery mechanism for to, to touch base with people who normally have hundreds of thousands of followers on Twitter or other networks, but only a few hundred on Firecaster. And so it's a very you mm. know, early grounds to interact with these people. Yeah, super, super smart. Um, I always find that such a good leading indicator, like smart engineering talent. Um, and especially those that have been successful and then get a really good global view, for them to be moving in, I always think it's so, so bullish. Absolutely, 100%. Very cool. Um, what, what else is going on in, in Web3? Um, in Web3, uh, I think the other big uh, aspect, uh, I, I personally had a few conversations with uh, uh, teams developing these AI projects, AI coins, um, notably Olas and Tau, BitTensor. Uh, what's interesting from this perspective, obviously the narrative is 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 pretty hot at this point um, with the traditional AI names in TradFi moving quite so much. Um, but what's interesting is how these tokens kind of capture value. I think that most of these teams are working on staking mechanisms um, to see how the token itself uh, can um, uh, capture more of the flow of the network and then, and then rolling those out over the next few months. So that's kind of the big development from that front. Very cool. And for those that haven't seen it, we did a, a breakfast with Renda uh, a couple weeks ago now, and it was recorded for a podcast as well. So definitely check that out. Um, and just in general, if you want to be attending uh, Coinbase events, just reach out to your salesperson. Um, we have various events with ZK Sync, Renda, Scroll, etc. Um, so do let us know and we can uh, we can get you a seat. Um, awesome, Sid. Thank you very much for that. Um, thank you to the rest of the team. Uh, as always, so much going on. Always a lot, a lot of fun. Um, and we will see you all next week. Good luck out there. All statements and analysis correspond to the date of this recording. This recording is only intended for sophisticated investors. This recording should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part. Neither Coinbase nor any of its affiliates make any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any of the information contained in this recording. The views expressed in this recording are not necessarily those of Coinbase. Coinbase is not providing any financial, legal, accounting, or tax advice or recommendations. The receipt of this recording by any listener is not to be taken as a giving of investment advice by Coinbase to that listener.